Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week's episode is brought to you by CBS Television's Emmy Award-winning reality series, The Amazing Race, the show that uses the world as its soundstage. Bertram Van Munster, Elise Duganieri, Jerry Bruckheimer, and Jonathan Lippman are executive producers of the race. This season, for the first time, 22 strangers paired up and went to nine countries, 17 cities, and traveled 36,000 miles. Tune in for the season finale Thursday, June 1st, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, we're talking about The Amazing Race with executive producers Bertram Van Munster and Elise Doganieri, so stay tuned. I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive Editor at TV, and it's my pleasure to welcome Bertram Van Muster and Elise Stagnieri of The Amazing Race. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. So exciting. You're in season, what, 29 now? Season 29. And it's not 29 years, because we do two a year, so it's 15 years or so. <laughs> How does it feel? How do you guys keep it fresh 29 seasons in? Well, the world is a big place, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cultural and fun stuff going on so I mean it's it's almost an ideal format in the sense that uh, we take them to cold weather hot weather different countries different cultures food uh, anxiety big cities huge metropoli um, Sao Paulo uh, London uh, we, we take them through the most uh, to, through areas that they don't know, they don't recognize. Very often, they don't speak the language in many countries. And they always try Spanish, which doesn't work in India. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how it works. And put people in a metro system in Tokyo is also a lot of fun. I mean, this is also casting is also important to keep it fresh. It seems like there's a whole new generation that was born when the show first aired, and now they're all grown up and they've always wanted to be on the show and they watched it growing up, and so we. We always have an influx of people wanting to apply for the show, and new generation, new way of thinking, new way of processing things. So they go, they travel around the world very differently than people did even say five or ten years ago. Well, certainly technology has changed, and that has to have made a huge difference for you. Uh, we use it. Huge. We use it. We use the iPhone, et cetera, et cetera, in, uh, for live broadcast, which we have done already two years ago. Uh, so, yeah, new technology is for us very, very important. When we first started, we used satellite phones for communications because there weren't enough cell towers around the world to even talk on a cell phone. And I remember even just trying to upload information on the Internet. You'd plug it into the wall in a hotel room and hope that it worked. Now we use WeChat for updating where all the contestants are as they're running around from location to location so we know we can pinpoint minute to minute where they are on the road when they're racing. It's fantastic. Are there any rules for the contestants in terms of technology, things that they can or can't use? Yes, there are plenty of rules for the contestants. They are not allowed to bring any cell phones. They're not allowed to use the Internet. 
they can't bring any credit cards. They always ask us when they're applying for the show, can we use our mileage? Because they always want to upgrade to first class. We said, no, everybody flies in economy. So um, they're very limited. It's really old school when they're traveling. You have to speak to people. You have to talk to people and communicate with everybody. You can write something down, but no technology. It's amazing that they're able to adapt to that in this day and age. Yeah, and it's difficult for some some of them. There's no question about it. We we uh, one of our versions we brought the, the Tyler Oakleys of this world, uh, and uh, it was kind of difficult for them not to operate with a cell phone or communicate in in their way that they communicate. But it was a lot of fun. It was very effective for us. For yeah, sure. when we had the social media stars. Um, and a lot of the YouTubers that were on the show, they yeah. literally had people helping them out at home trying to update their website so they could be current and feel like they weren't detached completely, but they, they didn't have anything to do with it. They were also it. recognized all over the world. That's I mean, amazing. It was amazing. They wouldn't come off a train would come off a train or a bus and they all of a sudden a huge group of people would recognize these YouTubers. It was really it was really fascinating to see. And they they there yeah, you're in the middle of India and all of a sudden you have all these people, all this, this huge fan club standing around you and they they even didn't know where it all came from. It's kinda cool. That also but, must have presented a challenge for them in terms of being able to get around. Well, yeah, it sometimes was helpful. But, you know, one of the things when I've changed it, when we changed this, it really uh, is when we started in New York in uh, Times Square. Because there was always the, let's keep it a secret where they go, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. I said, no, that's impossible in this day and age. Why don't we just open it up, start in Times Square, have hundreds of people see what we're doing, take selfies, take pictures, do whatever, put it on the internet, you know, and, and, and use it as a tool in, in our favor. And that has been very, very effective. People were already posting a lot of photos and videos. You know, there, were, there was all these websites where you could see where the contestants were. And then the next thing you know, people would try to meet the contestants where they thought we were flying to. But CBS did embrace the idea of letting videos being taken because we we're always like, no pictures, no pictures. But now people upload stuff, and if you want, to not have a spoiler, don't look. If you want to know, then look. So it's really up to you to decide what you want to do. But it's fun both ways. We've become the spoiler spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So this season, for the first time, you had complete strangers paired as partners. Why did you make that decision? Well, we wanted to try something new. We wanted to do a big twist that was something we'd never done before. And our format always was that you had to have a pre-existing relationship or know the person you were traveling with. Because we always thought when you go with somebody, you're going to have the most drama because you're not going to hold back about what you say. But really what turned out so wonderfully in this season, they didn't know who they were paired up with. They had, you know, it's kind of like you don't judge a book by its cover. So they might be judging each other by the way they appeared or how they saw each other do the first challenge. But what eventually happened was all those prejudgments were, they fell to the wayside because they got to really know each other. And within the second or third episode, there was, nothing was held back. It was like traveling with your best friend or your sister or your boyfriend or your, you know, your roommate. I was, I was a little worried about it because in the first, first two episodes, they were kind of courteous to each other, and, which is fine, you know, but I mean, they, they wouldn't really open up uh, as when you travel with somebody you know really well, you know, within the first for three seconds, you open up. So, but in the third episode, it really, uh, which is now, which has run already, uh, they really opened up and it became really fascinating to see how they did it. This idea of doing it this way was on the, has been discussed many, 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 many times over the years. But uh, I always tried to hold on to the original format, you know, where, where I like that people know each other very well, father, daughter, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These kinds of relationships was really a lot of fun. So, But this worked out. It's another worked way really well. of trying a social experiment. How do people work together? 
whether they know each other or they don't know each other. It's really about the relationship that they form during the whole process of being on the show. And then the story that's told and the story that develops, you know, how they start, how, where they are somewhere in the middle, and how it all ends. Do they end as friends or do they wind up really wanting to, you know, kill each other in the end? And they're always dealing with the unexpected. There's sure. nothing is, nothing is, they don't know anything. Even our cameramen, our sound people, they don't know anything either. They're all running, running from envelope to envelope. To once they open the envelope, they know what they're going to be doing next. But in Sao Paulo, I found this location that is like this. It's a rainforest in the middle of Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo has 22 million people living there. I found <laughs> a piece of rainforest that they keep in the middle of the city. And it is so strange and so bizarre. And that we use that as our end, uh, uh, end position for the, for, the, um, for the second episode really really good so I mean you put two strangers into an even stranger land you know the 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 outcome is is really interesting and uh, has been fascinating and we've done very well in the ratings with the show as a result of that so how do you keep finding new locations so many you know so many seasons into this world is a big place you know (laughs) there's there's still a lot of places that where that it depends you know how we lay it out Um, but there's still a lot of places that we haven't been to We've been to North Korea being one of them, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting a little bit more dangerous now. Exactly. Although We've we went to South Korea and we we shot right at the border mm-hmm. many many times. So. We, um, you know, we've been to nearly 100 countries in the 29 seasons, so there's over 100 more that we can still go to. So we're just, we're kind of halfway through our, 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 our amazing race, you know, journey. But the other nice thing is that in the 29 seasons. I don't know if it's a nice thing. We've put on a lot of mileage. We've traveled nearly 1 million miles in 29 seasons, which is mind-boggling. I hope it doesn't show on us, but it does show in the numbers. I see nothing. (laughs) (laughs) How do you travel well together? Do you two travel well together? We travel in opposite directions. We have learned (laughs) that this is not a good thing to do, to travel together. So uh, (laughs) what we did in in a while, you know, to a degree. But Elise usually used to handle uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, because... She gets along very well with people. I do Europe and Africa, Russia, and those those territories. But um, yeah, we, we work very very well together and have accomplished a lot together. Even also. though we created the show together and we're both executive producers, we have very different jobs, and I think that's what really keeps the peace as much as possible. Plus, we're married, so you know we're with each other twenty four hours a day. So you know. I'm more detail-oriented with more of the logistics and still doing the creative, but Bertram's doing more big picture and the creative, and he does all the scouting now. So he does the scouting. He brings all that information home from the scouts. All the challenges. We create all the challenges. And then um, I kind of put the puzzle pieces together. So that's how we work so well together. It it does work. So take apart the show for me. How do you build an episode of the show? How do you put an episode of the show together? Well, the first thing we do is we look at a big map of the world and we think, where do we want to go? Where have we been? What worked? What didn't? What you know? Where do we really want to go? And then Bertram and I kind of lay out twelve episodes of where those countries will be presented to CBS. Leslie signs off on it most of the time. Well, usually. there's there's a logic to these routes, and that most people don't know. They don't realize because a lot of people don't even know if Africa is flying east or west. I mean, it's it's mind boggling that people the stuff they don't know. It's kind of interesting, you know, to see that. <laughs> but um, so, <laughs> so um, we're helping throw, everyone you learn. Throw me off here there for a second. Everyone needs geography lessons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there is a logic. There's a complete logic. How, how I lay out the route. 
there's a logic that ties in with the airlines because otherwise you can't get around the world. Mm-hmm. So when I scout around the world, I look exactly what airlines, if there's a new li- airline popping up or whatever, you know, we keep note of that. But there's a logic to all, how all airlines also fly around the world because otherwise they wouldn't make any money. Sure. So... Do you worry about overbooking? Sorry, I couldn't resist. No, we don't. No, we don't. But you know, if if the logic is if the logic is there, you can smoothly go around the world. Mm. But nobody will ever know where the logic lies. We also have to make took many many years to figure out how this works. Everything fits into the budget too. So sometimes we travel to countries that are less expensive. Flights are longer and more expensive, or we take shorter flights that are less expensive. So it's really something that you have to look at the big picture and then figure out how to make it all work. But once Bertram starts scouting, all the information comes back into the office, and we work with our team um, to put together the challenges that he's come up with and how those challenges work with our challenge department, rules and everything like that. We start writing clues. And the finance department. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Details. Visas. You know, all of our passports have to have visas. All the tickets need to be purchased. And then also casting is going on while all this is, you know, happening. Casting is usually finalizing at that time. And then once we go on the road... We, we leave with the race and we start with the contestants and we travel with them the entire route until the finish line. Does it always work out the way you planned? I mean, I mean, there's got to be high, you know, things that happen along the way that you know aren't what you anticipated. You know what's so wonderful is we do lay out every detail of what we know as far as where they're going and then we know what the challenge is but we have never we never know when they're going to get lost when a flight's going to be delayed whether they're going to really be terrible at completing a task or super super fast so we have to kind of guesstimate in in all the years that we're doing it we're getting we're pretty good at knowing roughly so we built in you know, it's kind of, it's, we call it the fast slow. How fast do we think they're going to finish this leg of the race or how slow? And then. But also, what we have, the situations, I always have a couple of countries in my back pocket, as I call it, if something goes wrong in a certain country. So at one point, we were going to Qatar and there were some issues there, and we had to, we had to literally a day before that get out of it. So we did a second show in Sri Lanka. We also had a weather situation once in Central America, and it was a major storm coming through, and we had to fix that too, also overnight, and we did. So, yeah, we always have a backup plan for no matter where we are in the world. Uh, uh, we always have a, have a way out so, we don't, so our schedule doesn't get messed up. Yeah. It's 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 a very complex a very complex thing, but we I only w- would want to work on a complex show. Otherwise, I would be so bored. <laughs> we did have a monsoon once in um, was it Laos? We were supposed to go to, and we couldn't fly out to go there. So we were already in a location where Bertram had already scouted two shows, and we scrambled the day before the contestants were flying yeah, in. Was out of we Thailand. were there. We were there a day ahead, luckily, and were able to use. Um, a lot of things that we put together for the that we presented already that we knew we could do a show there, so it actually worked out luckily. It's interesting that we get a lot of calls from ambassadors around the world to ask us, come to my country, come to my country, we love your show, we love your show, because the show airs in 134 countries. That's amazing. So people see it around the globe, millions and millions of people. It's hugely popular mm-hmm. in China, in Southeast Asia. Uh, around the world and uh, so people call us all the time my country my country <laughs> yeah don't do it as long as I get the pick up I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be coming <laughs> take me back to the beginning how did you come up with the idea for the show in the first place okay so <laughs> way way back when um, well Bertram was Bertram's always been in television and I was actually in advertising and graphic design and I was just fascinated he'd done a wildlife show and he did cops for many many years and I just loved his 
what he did. He was traveling. He was going to Africa. And he was filming. And he was like, I'll be back in three weeks. And I thought, I really want to do something like that. And when I graduated college, I backpacked, I backpacked with a roommate for six weeks through Europe. And we had lived together in school. And about two weeks into the trip, we had a giant fight. And um, we just got, you know, I was on a very strict schedule. And she was like, oh, let's not get up early tomorrow. And I was like, come on, let's go. So we just said, let's not, you know, let's not hang out together today. So the end of the day, we got back together. Everything was fine. And we continued on our journey. And I said to Bertram, you know, that was one of the most incredible experiences. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't really speak any other languages. But I met the most amazing people. And I got to see how other people lived in the world. And with your background and with all the places you've been and all the people you know, what if we did a show where people raced around the world and the first one to get around the world will win and you've got the contacts everywhere? And he said, I like this idea. Let's write it up. So we wrote it up. Bertram pitched it to Gen Maynard, who loved the idea, who then brought it to Leslie with Bertram in the room. And Bert had to pitch it to Leslie Moonves. And it was kind of bought on the spot, right? Les, Les said, I like it. He looks around the room. He says, I like this. <laughs> that sounds good to me. He says, this could even be a franchise. So, wow. The vision also on his side, because this was done without, without any, any visual, without any paperwork, without anything. I wrote up We just sold it. We just sold paragraph. it. Paragraph. We just Amazing. sold it verbally, which mm-hmm. is unimaginable now. But to have some, to have a partner that sees the potential of something like this yeah. is amazing. It's extraordinary. And now we're doing our 29th season. And, and you know, we won 15 Emmy Awards with it. Beat everybody. <laughs> over and over and over again. So, and we, so we're really proud of it. It's a very complex show. Um, but it opens also, it opens our eyes to the world also, to the rest of the world. And you see the people are actually kind of nice. You, you see all the news and it's all bad, bad, bad. It's not. We've called everywhere in the world. The people are wonderful. People lose a passport in Moscow. They pick it up. Oh, you have no money here. We give you money. You, anywhere in the world, people are helpful, kind, and friendly. And they think it's a fantastic adventure. So there's a very, very bright side to what we're doing. And also, you know, as, as opposed to the news that is constantly hammering how bad everything is everywhere. And how poor everybody is. This is just, just. What's so wonderful is a part of that is that the format has sold in China, in Canada, in Israel, and Southeast, Europe, Southeast South America, Asia. Southeast Southeast Asia. And what happens now is when we're traveling with the amazing race for the American version, we might cross paths with another format, and people see the race all over the world and. Really, they do well. People us. know. They say, oh, you guys are the amazing race. Yeah. No, that's the other amazing race. That's the one from Singapore. <laughs> oh, wow. It's wild. It's, it's, it's wild. Any time you see people with a backpack running through a city, anywhere in the world, the people pointing and say, that's the amazing race. <laughs> <laughs> when did it first dawn on you that the show was a hit, that the show was something that, was gonna, that had taken off and had resonance? It was interesting when we were first editing the first season, just watching the footage that had come back and putting music to it. It just was. It, you just felt there was something special there, and then when the show aired and and the response from it, I, th- I would say after season one, we thought this is this could be something special. And when we got the pickup, was when we thought, oh, this may not just be a one season show. We might be around for a little while, and so we we really gathered the best teams that we could. I remember I scouted it. I never forget this. And Gen Maynard, who was instrumental in in buying the show for CBS. Uh, I was on the road for three or four weeks, and I was in Japan sitting on the edge of my bed, and I had a phone call with Gen, 
And he says, you're saying all the right words, they're just in the wrong order. Because I was so exhausted. <laughs> I couldn't see straight anymore. <laughs> I never forget he said that. It was so good. I also think when we were filming that first season, and it was really grueling, we had about half the staff that we typically shoot the show with. And we didn't know what to expect. It was really our first time. We didn't know how we were going to make all those flights, how we were going to get to all the locations. We didn't know what the weather was going to do to change things. And we even had a sandstorm in Tunisia and had to move the pit stop camp that evening. But there was this incredible energy among the contestants and the crew that even when we were done and everybody had lost like 15 pounds and we were like (laughs) starving and exhausted, everybody said, I hope we get to do this again. So that was the moment also that we kind of knew that this was something really extraordinary. Initially, we set it up to just keep going and going and going and going. By the time we got, got to Paris, we, we were so exhausted. We couldn't see straight anymore. And I could see, I remember, we, I got everybody together in a cafe at like at 8 o'clock in the morning and, and say, how are we going to continue this without, <laughs> without killing everybody? And then, you know, we, we calmed down and we, everybody came to their senses. And, uh, but it was, it was a real, real adventure, the very, very first one. I think we but the, great, the, great, the great thing is I had a lot, of, a lot of cameramen, a lot of people that have traveled with me for many, many years around the globe. They knew exactly what I was doing. It was not the producer. It was the cameraman that actually knew how to do this. It was really strange because that's the world I, where I come from. And they knew how to do this and how to work their way through it. And, uh, and I was leaning very heavily on these guys because at the end of the day, they also tell the story. Of they're, course. they're the storytellers. Sure. They're the frontline storytellers, and um, it was it was fascinating how it developed, and how it, and then over the years it developed into a machine that is uh, very effective, and where everybody knows it. Exactly I don't know if people do. realize that the camera crews that run little, literally run with our contestants are carrying you know like a forty pound camera on their shoulder shoulder while they're filming. The sound man has all the extra battery packs around his waist. He's carrying a lot of weight too, and they are running upstairs and down roads and getting lost with the contestants and running back and we're just thinking oh my gosh these poor guys they really are road warriors well, I used to be one capture. of those poor guys myself for many years, <laughs> so, so I, I have no mercy sometimes <laughs> is there any point at which you would intervene when you see them making a mistake no you just no, let them do it you know sometimes we just hope that the mistake isn't going to go on for too long <laughs> but you know we, we don't intervene at all you know the only way I would ever think that we would have to do that is if they were going to go into danger or something right. and well we had a situation in Hong Kong I never forget it where two, two, two uh, women they loved the race so much they knew they were last and they didn't want to give it up. So what they did is they said, and we are waiting in, in a junk in the, in, the, in the Hong Kong harbor. And the weather was really bad. And the junk was bouncing up and down. And Phil was there. And everybody's borderline seasick. And they had to make it to the junk. But they wouldn't come. They went to a restaurant and had a fine dinner. And they said, we're going to sit here as long as we like. As long as we are not checking in, we are still in the race. And it yeah. cost me like a fortune in overtime. <laughs> because oh because these, these guys were at 11 o'clock at night. They were still drinking white wine and having a good time. And I have an entire crew of hundreds of people waiting for them to check in. So, yeah, we do not interfere at all. And Amazing. then we also have to catch flights. So there's a point where it becomes really stressful. It's like, come on already, you know. Right. So. So, yeah. What have you learned along the way that's informed you as you've you know, made each subsequent season? Oh, um, I have learned in all these seasons that you know you can't expect people to work at a pace like we do on our show so when we go to different countries 
you have to know that they don't understand when they say they're going to run through here and before you know it they're going to be gone so you have to really be ready and people are like oh yeah we'll get there we'll get there so working with locals in different countries and with the language barriers and with the pace that some people that some people work has been a little challenging so what works best is really just to be calm and don't be pushy and keep a smile on your face and always be respectful and and which is how we worked anyway. And say uh, you are the guest in that country. You see, we have a situation. If you go to Japan, it's very, very different how you deal with people than when you go here in the United States or when you deal in Mexico. Uh, the, the, it makes it so much more difficult with permits and people make it uh, late and all this stuff. And in Japan, if you're rude to people, they shut down. It's over anywhere in Asia. But, you know, uh, we come from a different cultural background. But for me, it's fascinating to deal with all these cultures and deal with it in, 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 uh, with humor. And, and, and if I made a big mistake, if I make a big mistake, I said this is a cultural beggar. I made a terrible cultural mistake. There's no question about it. We were filming in Ethiopia. In the, there's a big church all the way in, the nor- in Lalibela in northern Ethiopia. And we had hundreds of priests. They had come to pay homage to when we were there filming there. And they were all surrounded, this church, this, which is buried into the ground. And we were in the ground, and here comes a team, and I tell them always, when you are in certain countries, you have to dress a certain way. You cannot show up with everything showing, like you do, like going to the beach in, <laughs> in, in Marina del Rey. So, and of course, somebody showed up that was just outrageous, and these priests, they saw this, and they have never seen something like that in their life, and they turn around, and they all walked away, 600 of them. They had come from hundreds of miles, they came walking to for this event. So we bought at Radio Shack, thank God, they brought a radio, a, a, a microphone, and I stood in front of this church, I never forget it, with my two boom boxes and a Radio Shack mic, and I spoke to all these priests, and I said, I've, I'm terribly ashamed, and this is a horrible a mistake, but this is a cultural misunderstanding, and I, I apologize, and will you guys allow me to continue filming? So they spoke, and they said, so the, all 600 were still lined up again. The next team members, the same thing. They also were highly inappropriately dressed. Shorts and it was it was so difficult to get these guys back. They were so insulted. So you have to be, in a, in a way, it's yeah, in a way, it's fun for television, but it's it's not. And, you know, it's it's very. So you got to fix those things, and you got to fix it on the spot. And uh, you know, we are Americans. We go around the world. We l- want to leave a certain uh, impression behind, sure. and I prefer it to be a good impression. So. And course. I think we've done that too, because whenever we leave a place, if we want to go back and we come back, we're always welcomed. And and we have big speeches about this before we leave to the whole production team to make sure everybody is you know respectful. And and what's what I've also learned is that if you show people respect, they'll be nice back to you. So. Everything that you might think, a lot of people have ideas about different countries or different, you know, people from different places. If you are nice to somebody, they will typically be nice back to you. There's it's another just thing how also. you have to be. There's, the, there's the, the poverty side to it. So I said when you see poor people, the guy that lives in a cardboard box on the side of the road, that may be his castle. You have to be respectful to that. You cannot s- close your window in an air-conditioned car and say, oh, because we've had people like that. Look, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. No, I'm introducing you to something that is very, very important and very special. And for the, If you see five people on a motorcycle in, in Bangladesh, that is this guy's Rolls Royce. He's very proud of that. He's the only one who wears the motorcycle helmet, and the rest of the family have no motorcycle helmet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he's the conductor. He drives the thing. People are very proud of that. And you, 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 can't go, you can look at it, but you can't always ridicule stuff like that. You don't know. You don't walk in their shoes. So be always respectful. You are always the guest in that country. I always saying, you, when you go to another country, you're the guest. You don't put your feet on the table. 
So that's that's the best way I can explain it, and then I hope to behave themselves. <laughs> it's hard so to say. It's all you can do. It's all you it's can all ask. You mentioned your impressive Emmy track record. Um, you've done very well with the Emmys. Um, I know there's been talk about removing yourself from the Emmys, but you've said that you wouldn't want to do that. you want to talk a little bit about it? No, I, or we as a team, we don't see any reason to remove ourselves from the Emmys. We work all very, very hard. I think it's good for the overall reality business that people see that a certain standard has been set and that gets the Emmy. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think we are very proud of it. It's not done by luck. It's been done with hard work, taking tremendous risk, liability, nervous breakdowns. You know, I mean, it, I think if we get that thing, we are very honored every time. We don't think it's an automatic ka-ching, here's the Emmy. And, uh, and we are, and we're always in good company. We're in a tremendous company. We're The Voice. Uh, we have been in, uh, American Idol. All really, really great shows. But those shows had a hard time getting to, getting to that point because they're very, very different. Very different also as a genre. So, but we're very proud of it. And I think when we get it, I'm I'm severely humbled by it. <laughs> we are every you know every time that we've been nominated, we've been fortunate to be nominated since 2003 when the category was first introduced, and every season since then. So, um, you know, it's become something we really look forward to and hope for. And every year that we make the shows. We don't ever feel like we're going to win it this year ever because we we have not won it every year, but we hope to win it every year because we know how much work our team puts into it and how much CBS supports us and and the fans. The fans have been the biggest driving factor. I mean, our show is on now. We're on Thursday nights at nine, and we're still getting six and a half, seven million viewers, and sometimes ten o'clock. Right? Yeah, ten. So, um, you know, we've moved around a few times during the week but our fans still find us and we've got a huge fan base and Phil's tweeting I'm tweeting I think on many levels it's a very important show I think on the human level it's a very very important show has tremendous amount of humor built in has tremendous it's all unexpected it's it's a direct reflection on life you know induced with a lot of humor that's how I look at it it's also a show that you can watch with your whole family so now that the show is coming on in the evening, we just want everyone to DVR it and watch it with your family when you can watch it with your family. We watch it with our daughter. We have an eight-and-a-half-year-old, and she's so excited to learn about the countries and see what, how they dress and what language they speak and the flights and where they travel to. Um, There's something for everybody in the show. <laughs> and a lot of drama, too. <laughs> and humor. So you mentioned, too, that um, the idea of doing Perfect Strangers was an idea that you'd had on the shelf. What other ideas do you guys have in your back pocket that you're going to be rolling out, that you're willing to share? Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's, always, there's always the idea going around celebrities, and we've spoken to celebrities, but the problem with celebrities, they have limited time to do it, and they have also very complicated schedules. And I know how that works. So, <laughs> so you know, that has been, has been on, the, on the radar um, so, yeah, the casting, of course, is a very important element, and we have good people doing that. A very important element to tell the story, because that's basically our scenario. That's our, that's our, um, that's our writing. If they're yeah, articulate, so we have had people that are not articulate. They're completely shut down. They say, oh, I lo- want to be on the show, Bertram. I love it so much. I want to be on it. And they go on the road, and they sh- completely shut down. They say, what happened? But they're so intimidated by the environment that they can't <laughs> that they can talk. Or people say, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go home. <laughs> You're not going home. <laughs> you, you are in a big competition not here, yet. and the whole world will look at you. 
and everybody will think you're a wimp if you do that. So you got to keep going and say, oh, thank you for speaking to me, and boom, and then they go again, and they're happy. I also and, think and then they win. <laughs> a great show for anybody who wants to see the world and do it with somebody um, that they need to maybe work something out, something that they're looking forward to doing together. They, they're in love. They're not in love anymore. It's really a show for anybody. And also the fact that you can, you know, we still love our, the you know, the original format of like, you know, father and daughter and brothers and sisters and best friends. I mean, there's something really special when you can watch the show and relate to somebody who's on the show and say, oh, that's just like me. It's also good to see that people say, well, I want to do this because I want to fix my relationship with my partner, which is good really, luck. really bad. <laughs> well, this is the worst place you can do this. <laughs> okay. This is not a good idea. You can survive it. They think they can do it. I still want to see the two of you do it. We're smart enough not to do it. We this. do the race behind the scenes in our own special way. And, and everybody that works around us sees how we do the race together. She sits there on the airplane and I sit there on the airplane. She sits here in the office and I sit all the way at the other end. That's how we do it. That's how we have well. harmony. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure having the two of you sit next to each other across from me. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you, Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. I'll be chatting with the stars of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale, Joseph Fiennes and Yvonne Strahovski. See you next week. This week's episode is brought to you by CBS Television's Emmy Award-winning reality series, The Amazing Race, the show that uses the world as its soundstage. Bertram Van Munster, Elise Doganieri, Jerry Bruckheimer, and Jonathan Littman are executive producers of The Race. This season, for the first time, 22 strangers paired up and went to nine countries, 17 cities, and traveled 36,000 miles. Tune in for the season finale Thursday, June 1st, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.